The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Everybody, this is the 3CR Garden Show on a cool and dark Sunday morning. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me are Tim Ubergang, who is the team one of the team leavers at RBGV, curator of the Cycad collection there, member of the Cycad specialist group, and previously was at the Systems Garden at Melbourne University, which was established in the 1850s as one of the oldest teaching gardens in the country. I've also got Stephen Ryan with me, horticulturalist, nursery owner, blog developer, radio host, patron of RHSV, president of the Mount Macedon Hort Society and Plant Trust, tour leader and author. Oh, my Good God. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't ha- heard it put out that way before. I forgot how busy I am. <laughs> oh, resume. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, so, yeah, so here we are this morning. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Morning, Tim. Morning, Virginia and Stephen. It's great to be here on the other side of that great floral music. (laughs) It certainly is nice to be here again, although I seem to be making a bit of a habit of this because I was in here last week. But anyhow, there you go. (laughs) But these things happen. Well, unfortunately, one of our people had a migraine and couldn't come so I called you down at the last minute and thank you very much for coming. That's a pleasure I'm always happy to be Mm. here not so happy to get up at six in the morning (laughs) but I'm always happy to be here once I'm here. But I am noticing at half Mm. past six that you can see that the sun's about to come up. Oh, yeah. The day is getting a bit longer. A little longer. bit more lighter, mm. yeah. which is great. Yeah. Yes, we're past that solstice, so, yes, things are on the improve as far as the weather's concerned, I guess. The next bit is my favourite bit, when mm. you can get up early mm. and get into the garden. Yes. Because I don't like going into the garden. It's still dark, but I love getting out really early. Yeah. Well, you've got and to be careful. You pull out the wrong things if you still That's right. Yes, and I have to say there's quite a lot of that to do in my garden at the moment. Uh, yes, well, tell us all about it. There's, uh, I've been away for eight weeks or seven or eight weeks, and, uh, yes, it's surprising how much there was to do when I got home too. I thought, oh, well, the garden's sort of semi-asleep, so it'll be fine. But I tell you what, the sticky weed and uh, um, the petty spurge and all sorts of other nasty little weeds are sort of going to town, and if I don't get in and deal with them fairly soon, the next generation will be there. I've got to say, that's one of the major things at the moment for me in the garden is weeds. Yeah. So many weeds. The botanic gardens are my home garden too. Mm. Yeah, really, really. It's the main job, I reckon, at the moment. Well, sticky weed for me. Everywhere I turn, I've got mm. more sticky weed. I must have been terrible last year because it's coming Yeah, up well, everywhere. you do wonder about how good you were, although I have to say I can be quite assiduous about... Uh, removing it and getting it out before it goes to seed. The big problem is, though, your neighbours aren't necessarily as good at doing it and I'm not 
casting <laughs> nasturtiums at any of my neighbours particularly, but if they're not doing their job with it as well, well, their cat will walk through and bring the seed into your place or other animals will come through and drop the seed everywhere. I mean, it's, it's a very good um, coloniser, sticky weed. I've so, got flickweed mm. and potosporum from my neighbour at the moment. Have you? And they're not the most socially engaging neighbours too, so it's just got to be the barrier, the, the fence line that yeah. demarcates and... That's how I have to attack it. Yeah, yes, it's unfortunate if you don't have people around you that are as uh, enthused about the whole horticultural <laughs> thing as you are, but anyhow. Well, I find the potostrum totally impossible. It's It sits with blackberry mm. for things that just come in, I presume, partly on the birds. Yeah, I'm pulling it out young at the moment. It's all about mm. three inches tall. Yeah, when it's little, so, it's not too hard to manage. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, once it gets that taproot anchored, uh, then it becomes a major issue. It's one of the few times where I pull out the roundup mm. and paint. Cut and paint. Yeah. Cut and yeah. paint. Oh, you have to if they're bigger. Mm. I, uh, it's the only way I use roundup these days is, again, for, for painting for painting on pernicious, nasty things that I can't dig out. Yep. Um, you know, it's I can't see how you can manage the issues in your garden um, unless you do pull out that sort of arsenal occasionally. But, you know, I bring, only bring it out at absolute necessity and I sort of figure it's very targeted so you're not sort of spraying it all over the garden or whatever. Um, no, I'd never spray it. No. Yeah. So, um, and it does seem to do the job remarkably well. Most most things that you, you paint with uh, Roundup don't come back again. Blackberry thinks about it. Yeah. <laughs> Blackberry, we'll have that one for a while. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Von Mueller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid it is one of our absolute problems. No one will go hungry if they're lost in the bush, will they? <laughs> no. No. As long as it's at the right time of the year. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and there's right. an absolutely beautiful passion fruit away in parts of the Dandenongs. When I drive past Jane Tonkins and go mm. up, it's a bit early yet, but it's it's got a really, really beautiful pink flower. Yeah, it's, it's one of the banana passion fruit types. And, and Yes, and yes. it's become a real serious thug up in that area. Yeah, it's... Mm. it's um, Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, gorgeous looking mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather a lot of it. Suckering um, rootstock though. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't understand why anyone would buy a passion fruit that's been, that, that isn't on its own roots. Mm. You know, make a lot of sense. It makes it? no sense to introduce banana passion fruit to your garden. Well, back in the day, maybe it was an idea that came through, but then it just got out of hand. It I think, was it you, Stephen or Clive? Somebody said that. A lot of a, a lot of the grafting is because it's just easier. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Look, commercially, um, <clears throat> I have to say the nursery industry has a little bit to answer for, because they'll often do techniques like budding grafting and things on plants that don't really need it, but only because it does fit into their usual yearly routine better than to try and do it from cuttings or from seed. Um, so they bud everything or they graft everything because they're doing it all at once and it's the down season for lifting and all those other things. So some things are budded and grafted that really, really don't need to be. I mean, Well, passion fruit has to scream <coughs> at you because... It always gets away if you plant it. Yeah, oh you yeah. mow that stuff sometimes if it comes through. It comes through lawns and everywhere. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it's the same with some of the, um, <coughs> excuse me, the ornamental cherries. 
A lot of them are perfectly happy on their own roots, um, but they tend to bud them onto some cherry understock that has a suckering habit. Mm. And I've got a, a, an autumn cherry in the garden at home, which I love. It's a beautiful little tree with tiny pink blossoms on it from about April to October. Um, but it's on this damn understock and I'm forever hoiking it out. And, of course, you can't, can't cut and paint that with Roundup, mm-hmm. otherwise it'll take out my tree. Um, so, you know, there's got to be better ways of dealing with propagation of some of these plants than to keep doing that sort of thing, which causes all sorts of issues. Well, I've, I planted two crab apples, Malus ioensis, plena, planted them, bought them at the same place, can't remember where, planted them at the same time, one of them, just from the understock all the time. Mm. I'm always cutting it back. The other one's absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah, Tell me it about it. Mm. Oh, look, it does happen. You only need a tiny little bit of damage at the base of the stem. It could even just have been banged against something when it was a baby tree and, and damaged the bark. Um, and once an understock starts shooting, mm. um, then just becomes basically a lifetime job. Rough, yeah. And the other one, the one that doesn't have the problem... Is just getting every branch at the moment is just being completely ring barked by the possums. Oh, little buggers! <laughs> completely. I've just bought a bag of pears. I'm going to put a pear out every night to mm. see if that stops okay. her. Mm. She's the cutest little thing, mm. but you know she is making mayhem. I'm not pruning it back because mm. I don't. I want her to stick to just the one she's ruined. You know. Yeah. Well, you're better to leave her in the one tree than have her say, "All right, well that one's done now. I'll move on." Mm. <laughs> Possums is another whole nother story. I've lost about three avocado trees, all fruited this year. Lost the possums, so yeah. Yes, yes. Oh dear! I just keep telling myself we're lucky we don't have elephant. (laughs) (laughs) I I must admit, I love this little possum. She's Mm. so sweet. Mm. But um, no, I'm not happy with what she's doing. No. But you know, I wear it. Whereas, and she is creating havoc in my vegetable garden. I can't keep her out of it. She's creating havoc. I thought it was the rats, but I'm sure now it's her. Yes, well, wouldn't surprise me. Anyway. Surprise me. Such is life. Yes, that's the nature of gardening. Now, um, I have a few announcements for Mm, people. Yes. Um, Next weekend, 22nd and 23rd of July, the um, Cranbourne has its Growing Friends plant sale for winter. So that will be a wonderful place to find some Australian plants that are rare mm. and desirable. Absolutely. They have got FPOS, so you can... Oh, take, so you completely get carried away. You completely <laughs> get carried away. And if you want to find... And they will have a plant list on their website, which is CFRBG, Cranbourne Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens, CFRBG.plantsale. Dot, I've got PR. I wonder if that's right. Dot, Sounds odd. It does. Dot PR at gmail.com. But if you just look up the RBG Cranburn, it'll tell you. Yeah. If I've Follow the links. written that down. That'll be a good one. And then on the 5th of August, we've got two things. Um, ben Brooker will be talking at Fernie Creek. Oh, no, that's. Oh, well, that'll do. 5th of August, Ben Brooker will be talking at Fernie Creek. Port Society, so look up Fernie Creek for that. Um, the At Burnley, the Friends of the Burnley Gardens are having a winter pruning workshop on Saturday the 5th of August from 10 till 1. It costs $55 and you get to that by try booking. 
Um, number four, encouraging women in horticulture on Wednesday the 23rd of August at the Imperial Hotel in Burke Street. They are having their AGM, which includes a meal, includes bits and pieces, and their speaker is A.B. Bishop. So that has to be an interesting one to go to. Then on Saturday the 26th of August, Melton Botanic Gardens friends are having a conference dry climate gardening with Jane Edmondson, Simon Rickard and Tim Entwistle. That is $45 and you can find more details at friends at fmbg, friends Melton Botanic Gardens, fmbg.org.au. And I think that's all. That was good, wasn't it? Yeah, well, a few things starting to happen. So. And, and as well, just a reminder that Chloe Thompson, one of our presenters, has got a new online video behind the garden gates, which you'll find at Bean, Bean There, B-E-A-N, Bean There, Dug That. And Lightscape is still on at the Botanic Gardens, which is running till August the 6th. I think that's that's been pretty just, popular. I believe the lightscape. So yeah, that's it's been interesting. It's different, been different to last year. It was it's, it. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's I have mixed feelings about that one, but it's um, <laughs> but it's like an art display. Someone told me, and you you take it as it comes for each year. So mm. well, they had to move it out of the Fern Gully, didn't they? Because yeah. it was. I mean, you know, you cannot have those sort of events if they damage the gardens too much. Mm. Fern Gully, it was actually quite beautiful in there, yes. but it was uh, a natural bottleneck, and I think that was the problem. Mm. Um, it was all smoke and lasers, so it was quite uninvasive um, in the garden. It's all that it's just traffic the sheer, the sheer numbers, mm. yeah, and people wanting to take photos, and everyone gets impatient and wants to pass. And um, yeah, that was a little bit disappointing. It is, it is tight going through the Fern Gully because mm. yeah, well, I, it's not designed for. You masses, know, no. Crowds to flow through because it's an intimate space. Because and... I take people, I'm doing a walk today and um, I, I often go through, the, well, particularly not so much this time of year, but later in the year it's so much cooler than anywhere else. But if I'm going through with a biggish group and I meet another group, we actually have to negotiate it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I went to Lightscape this year and I thought it, I was away last year. I thought it was fabulous. Oh, okay. I really yeah. enjoyed it. But... Um, I can see that that just the sheer numbers. I, I have great problems with the fact that that the way society is organised, something being good is if lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people use it. Yeah. And it strikes me that with gardens actually having lots and lots of people is not such a good thing. Yeah, you should have been in with me in Monet's garden a few weeks well, ago. Well, quite. I mean, oh, I haven't... Wow. Oh, God. Talk We're dropping lot. it out of the tour. I would, yeah. It's Shoulder uh, to shoulder? Oh, it was just ridiculous. There were people who wanted to go into the house because they wanted to see the the beautiful uh, yellow kitchen and they wanted to see Monet's uh, Japanese prints and all the things that are in the house. They stood in queue for three quarters of an hour before they got in. Uh, And I think only about two or three of our group actually uh, spent the time to just stand in that queue to get into the house. Getting a clean shot of that... um 
water lilies on the bridge uh, with no one the, else in it. The only way you can do that now is to take a picture from way back so that you don't actually really see the people terribly well. Yeah. Um, so, um, yes, a lot of gardens are just ruined by over being overloved. Well, mm. I was last in the Monet Garden 30 years ago and it was unbearable then. Oh, oh, look, this, year was, okay. this year was on steroids. I don't know quite what was going on, um, but a couple of the sort of iconic places people like to visit, like Monet's Garden or Mont Saint-Michel and, you know, some of those sort of big iconic um, visiting sites. Just madness. People from all over the world were there and they were just crowding in. And you think, you know, if they don't do something about it, they're actually going to ruin it for everybody because nobody will want to come anymore. It's just got out of hand completely. It, um, and it's not a huge garden. Monet's garden isn't that no, big. No. So you have to manage it. Yeah, and the paths aren't all that terribly wide. Um, and um, in, in garden design, I think that is just such a mistake, making narrow paths. Even, mm. even in private gardens mm. like my own, I, you know, my, my friend, the next road over, we both designed our gardens. Well, it's maybe not designed our gardens. We both developed our gardens at the same time. And sh- her paths were too narrow. Yeah. And but we the, just had to go back and widen them. the other side of the coin is it's a nice intimate opportunity for that intimate space where you're not being, you know, you're by yourself and you don't get to... Sharing's, you know, I don't like sharing all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, well, it's nice to have your place to yourself, Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say. So, um, yes, my paths are all far too narrow, but they're going to stay that way. Your paths are incredibly narrow. <laughs> and they continue to narrow if you don't. Yeah, well, that's what happens with yeah. me. <laughs> oh, look, look, there's six inches in, on the edge of that border. I could plant a tree there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And exactly. that's what sort of tends to happen. Yeah. But anyhow, oh, well. <laughs> You're uh, listening to the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with you are Tim Ubergang and Stephen Ryan. If you want to ring us, ring us on 9419 8377 or text us on 0488 809 855. Can I mention one other community thing that's, Please. that's happening at Burnley as well? And that's this Wednesday's the Giants movie um, for the Global Gardens of Peace. It's a fundraiser event. So, yeah. So that's that's on Wednesday the twenty sixth of July, eight thirty. And I think you can book book through the friends. At night and it's a movie. Yeah, yeah. Global Gardens uh, yeah, Global Gardens of Peace um fundraiser. Um and the movie is the Giants, sort of um about a bit about Bob Brown and yeah. Oh, Tazzy. Good. So I think that's that's that'd be a great film. Oh, be, really good things about it. It'll be fun too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that'll probably book out so get in so that is and how do you book does it have i think it's through, through the um friends of burnley right so that'll yeah. be a, probably try booking they seem to largely be try booking yeah friends. Mm, yeah and friends of burnley no i didn't write down oh yes it, it, but it, the website will be the same yeah, yeah it'll be on there yeah. yes i'm sure you can find it if you have to or yes, want to absolutely very important now Tim, I sent you a photo of yes, my cycad last night. Yeah, yes. yeah. And it's is it just I have a cycad. I've I'm hoping that I I put it on late last night. I send it to Lizzie, so she'll probably put it up today for people who want to see it. It's a cycad in a pot. It's been there for an extraordinarily long time, and I haven't replaced it because it's so hard to get out of the pot. 
not looking happy, Virginia. <laughs> and it looks pretty awful. Well, I had a quick look at this, and if I had to say straight away, like to for everyone else, non, it's not here. The, there's about twelve leaves on it. Um, about three of them. One of them's really green. The rest are yellowing and brown. But it looks like it's is it under a pine tree or something like that. I've seen lots of pine needles. Um, well, no, my my whole property is under. Oh, okay. Or is near hundred year old pines. Yeah, and they needles blow around everywhere up there. Because so. my my first thing was allopathy. I was thinking, mm. oh, well, maybe not much grows under pine trees, so maybe those needles are creating that allopathic environment. But it's also, and how long since you repotted it? Years. Yeah, I reckon. I need thick gloves, and I've just got to do it, don't I? And because it's. It's dropped quite a lot in the pot, so mm. I reckon I can see that the potting mix is probably quite old. So if it was lifted up and repotted... is it? Will it be difficult to repot aside from hurting me? <laughs> no, no, you're the only one that's going to be a threat with um, repotting this one. It's Psychos Revoluta, which is quite a tough and common psychate in the in the trade. You might think it's common. I think it's lovely. <laughs> I know they're beautiful. I've got nothing, nothing against them. And seeing pictures of them in Habitat in... Um, in Japan, they look just in Japan. stunning. Mm. Yeah. So could that? Could I put that in the garden? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just make sure it's free draining because in I've never seen them in habitat, but in Japan they're growing on on cliffs, so they're quite quite um, remarkable looking plants. There's one amazing one, probably the best one at the botanic gardens is in in the arid garden. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Know it. Yeah. So that's absolutely. Stunning. That's massive. There's some fabulous cycads in the Botanic <clears throat> Garden. Absolutely fabulous. Although yeah. there's one somewhere near the perennial border that's looking rather ill, I thought. The one near the roadway? Yeah. 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 That's Lepidosome prefskiana <clears throat> from Queensland. Um, so it's probably just complaining about the winter. Too yeah, wet as well as too cold. Yeah, a bit of radio, radiating heat um, from the bitumen. Um, they, they're a rainforest plant, so where I've seen them in habitat, they're all understory plants. And oh, and that one's just stuck out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the open. But mm. it, look, it, it's got a, a, a pup growing from the base, which got nice, healthy green leaves. Um, I think they can be tricky, sort of growing close to pavement and road areas. Right. The garden's lost one maybe five or six years ago, or they moved it into the nursery and it, it just never recovered. Uh, Craig from Gentiana has just texted in, what cycads can he grow in Alinda? <laughs> so obviously mine if it comes from Japan. Yeah. Um, I would have a crack at... Oh, no, Craig is actually online. Silly me. Let's get, let's get <coughs> Craig. Hello, Craig, are you there? Hello. I thought you'd you texted got me? in. Yes, I've got you. Thank you. Good. Did you know one of the few advantages of having deer in your garden is that they love blackberries? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the only advantage? The only advantage. Yeah. Now, listen, out, out the front of my house, I have big tubs of hostas under the eaves. At, at this time of the year, they're a bit dreary. And I was thinking four big cycads would be perfect. Well, the ones I was thinking about were um, uh, uh, are communist could could be a, a goer, but when you say big ones, um, yeah, if you got some big communists, uh, sorry, yeah, um, 
Psychos Revoluta, that that would work. But then there's also the smaller um, non-trunking Encephalitis, Encephalitis psychatofolius. Right. Um, they grow in really cold environments in um, in southern Africa, but they're not like your big trunking specimens. Yeah, trunk would be quite nice. But, I mean, I, yeah. my issue with cycads here is that they're cold and wet, but I can control the watering with these ones because they're under the eaves. It's it's all about drainage, yeah, with, yep. with all cycads, I reckon, so. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so good free-draining potting mix. You want to grow them in a pot or in, in the ground? In a pot, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, free-draining potting mix. The mix, I potted up some actually just yesterday, and it's a, a good mix of small sort of coarse scoria, perlite and cactus and succulent mix. Okay. So everything's got to be really free free draining. That's kind of the main the main rule with with cycads and everyone I've seen in habitat are growing on slopes or cliffs. So drainage is is important for that's one of the yeah the key ingredients I think. Okay. And speed of growth, because I'm, you know, in my mid-60s. Oh, come on now, Craig. <laughs> you plant like you're going to live forever, Craig. That's the only oh. way to go. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've almost stopped growing things from seeds. I'm not going to see them reach sexual, sexual maturity anymore, so. <laughs> well, I had and an I'm old gardening 50. friend, Barney Hutton, years ago, and he was still sowing tree peony seed when he was 92. Okay. Well, that's he, pretty good. He had a different attitude. It wasn't about the uh, watching something come to fruition. It was about watching something growing. And, so and, and germinating was, seed. Which yeah, was and, and it was exciting. just the excitement of that. Um, that's right. And yeah. he knew full well he wasn't likely to live long enough to see any of those peony seeds um, come to fruition. But he enjoyed the process of growing them. There's so, a, there's yeah. a and I think that's quite a healthy way of doing it. I've actually got this plan. If I ever make it to 80, I'm going to plant something that takes 20 years to flower. <laughs> so you've got something to look forward to Yeah, yeah, it gives you something to live for um, And um, yeah, it's a challenge So back to the cycads, Craig Do you know where to get hold of them? That's exactly, that was the next question oh. Yeah, yeah therein <laughs> is the real rub yeah. Tim groaned. Being a nurseryman, I'm you know not particularly concerned about paying for them That's fine Yeah well, I'll tell you another really interesting thing which I was talking about before off air, and that's um, grafting cycads. All right. Um, and that's just something that's starting to find its feet. And um, people are – someone I know in the south of France is grafting, grafting cycads, um, a lot of those really cool um, blue central sort of Australian species – yeah. Onto Revoluta rootstock, so right. Cycas canziana, Ophelitica, really interesting blue species, and he'll and cut. Who, who's doing it? His name's Simon, and he's um, he has a small a small nursery. Uh, he's the one that, that sort of came up with this whole grafting plan, um, and you can see a lot of his his work on on Facebook. He's been quite revolutionary with it. Um, and he started doing it about two or three years ago. And I saw a workshop in Thailand with him about five years ago. Um, and it's just taking off. He sells them all through Europe because you can't grow these plants in cool climate Europe. 
Um, he's having really good success. And whereabouts is he based? Uh, Roughly. Um, inland from Biarritzi Way. Yeah, right. I, I'd have to. Hmm. I'd have to. Yeah. Look that up. So, so we. But, ha- but cooler than Melbourne climate, right. yeah. A bit like yeah. the hills. So, question: Is anyone in your in our, any of your groups grafting in this way? We have Dermot, we started Dermot Knight, the Botanic Gardens. We're planning to do it in spring, spring summer. We're going to have a have a crack. We've got some Revoluta um, small plants. I think. The problem is is when they pup. So it's it's still untested, but it's it's going to be quite interesting to see how it how it happens. It sounds interesting, Craig, but it doesn't sound like you're going to find it easy to buy cycads. Yeah, apart from Revoluta. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. I've got a grower that had some Panzanensis for sale. I don't know whether he still has or not, but uh, he'd raised some of those. I think that's one of the southern Chinese species. Yeah, that uh, should be all right. Yeah, well, he reckons I can grow it at Massad, and I haven't uh, tried yet, but um, uh, he thinks it's cold-hardy enough. But I don't... I, you could uh, put it right next, uh, right on the edge of one of your narrow paths. Yeah, what a good <laughs> idea, yeah. Yeah, then you can brush past a lovely, soft, gentle cycad. Again, <laughs> a, tr- a trunked one is just so hard to, to mm. get. They're really, they're beautiful things, so... Yeah, might be a little way off, but it's changing. The the climate's changing. We'll put the word out, Craig, and see if anybody comes back to us with information about where to get some cycads. Yeah, four. (laughs) Four, Four, yes. (laughs) To be exact. (laughs) And I think replacing hostas with cycads sounds extraordinarily sensible. Yes. Oh, they look really good together. Yeah, they will look good together, won't they? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and Lindy, also from the Yarra Valley, Lindy says she's just been up north and has put some wonderful photos on Facebook. Hi, all. This is one for Mr. Cycad. I think that must be you, Tim. No. In our recent travels, we managed to purchase purchase a Cycad Megacarpa, Mount, the Mount Gordon Cycad. We're in the Yarra Valley and we'll probably grow it in a pot for safety. But what sort of potting mix do you recommend, Tim? We saw these growing in nature when we were recently when we recently visited Mount Morgan. They were gorgeous and we don't want to kill ours, Lindy. Yeah, that's um Psychas Megacarpa. Um I've got a few of those growing at home. Um and mine are in pots, and I'm. And it was a bit of a test for me with those ones. I've had mine for about six years. Um, treat them as a bit of an understory, sort of gets a nice filtered light. And yeah, I think if they're in a pot in in sheltered frost, can't they won't be able to handle frost. But it's that free draining mix um, again. Um, a good mix of. Um, yeah, perlite, scoria, and cactus and succulent mix is a good start to to just yeah have a crack for that. Okay, I hope that's useful, Lindy. Yes, yeah, so um, interest in cycads. I can't remember talking about cycads in here before. No, probably not. I mean, they are one of those sort of groups of plants that sometimes slip through the cracks because, I mean, they're hard to get for a start. So, you know, not many people have them for sale. So you can't just rush off to uh, a general garden centre or whatever and get a selection of cycads. Um, They're slow growing. 
Yep. They're often quite expensive to buy. Yep. So, you know, they have a lot against them, really, when it comes to... one yeah. of the most threatened plant groups in the world yeah, as well. Yeah, so they're really, really Are important. They? Why is that, Tim? Um, they're, they're, well, the current cycads that we see around us in, in habitat now are about sort of 7 to 10 million years old. Um, and, th- yeah, they're, they're, they've sort of slowly been declining in, in numbers. Probably South Africa is experiencing the greatest number of reductions because of habitat removal is number one. Um, and and uh, uh, poaching is probably just as bad. Um, and it's it's just yeah collectors people are collecting in South Africa. Mm. Um, Labor is cheap. Uh, people can just give someone a um, coordinations and a photograph and get them to go and strip plants out from from habitat. That's terrible. And um, and yeah, great numbers have been lost. I mean. My figures in my head, but there's, I don't know, there must be four or five species that are extinct in the wild now and, um, and are only in, in collections. Um, Australian species, uh, is ha- the removal of habitat is probably one of the, one of the greatest threats. Farmers yeah. don't like them particularly either because they're poisonous. So, you know, in, for a long time, they were one of those things you got out of the paddocks, got rid of them because they, they could poison your stock. Mm. You get, the government was encouraging people to do it on farmland, mm. especially yeah. in the late 1800s and early yeah. 1900s. So was, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of cycads disappeared for that reason. Mm. That's another, another one of our not terribly sensible things that we've uh, done when we got to Australia. Yes. Oh, uh, well, but um, there you go. How, how do they... How, do they propagate? Uh, they propagate. Well, I mean, you, in the in nature, I meant in, in the wild habitat. Um, so they're, they're pollinated by um, small um, thrips. Um, I think Cycada thrip chadwickii is the is sort of a thrip in Queensland. That a lot of um, research has been done on studying that. And the Ill, interesting pollination. I'll sort of sidetracked into interesting pollination syndrome which um, occurs in in cycads which was done by a a researcher called Irene Terry from Utah um, University is a a, a, cycads are dioecious so they have male male and female are separate on separate plants and they're coning plants Um, and so uh, the the thrips um, feed on the pollen in the male cones um, they have a symbiotic relationship. The thrip needs the, the pollen, the, the cycad needs the, the thrip. Um, when it comes to, to coning time and a, and a female cone is receptive, the male cone can heat up 10 degrees or more above ambient temperature, which repels the thrips from the, the male cone. Um, at the same time, the female cone releases a scent that attracts the thrips to it and so the the process so, begins. Um, this pollen, really interesting pollination process. I was at the Botanic Gardens in Perth mm, eight years ago or something like that, and they had had a German PhD student who didn't know what to do with herself while she was there and had gone off 
and had studied the cycads and had just tracked all of that happening yeah, in wow. these cycads we went and looked at, which was pretty amazing, I thought. It's pretty fascinating. I cut a, a male cone off a plant a, a year ago and I put it on, on my Instagram page and I was holding the cone and it was actually generating heat and I took a thermometer and actually laser thermometered the cone and it was about 10 degrees above the outside temperature. So you were interrupting its process. <laughs> well, I didn't have a female, so I've actually got that pollen and I've I've stored it in my in my freezer at home. So waiting for a waiting for waiting a for a viable host. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Now we've had two texts. Rorema has yes. cycads. Yes, Rorema nursery is bound to have some species. Got a good they have definitely yeah. have got yeah. cycads, and somebody else has suggested maybe collector's corner in Brayside. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I, when I first started out, I used to go to Collector's Corner and they had a few little zamias and, and things, but I'm not too sure. Mm. I haven't been there for a little while yet, but Roraima does, yeah. They've got, they've got a good mix of um, dunes from, from Mexico and cephalatus from um, Africa. So great spot So def- that's definitely where Craig needs to go. He's not going to get the trunked one, though, just just yet. But, you know, Maybe. you've got to start yep. somewhere. And... Um, the other thing about Roraima is that it's got the most fabulous garden to walk through when you go. I mean, it is really a nursery that's worth visiting because it's got such a beautiful... One, he has so many things that are totally obscure. Yeah. And two, he has a beautiful... He's made a really stunning garden to walk through. So it's worth visiting Roraima, which is just outside Geelong. It's on the highway, but you have to get off the highway to get anywhere yes, near you take it. the Lara exit, uh, and it's almost on a service road. Yes, it uh, is on a service road, uh, yes. to the To the freeway. So it's not too hard to find, and it's definitely worthwhile going down. Uh, Matthew and I were down there last week filming, and this week's um, video on our YouTube channel is all about the Cassonias oh, down at Rorama. Yeah, Because right. Lyle's got... We worked out, we think he's got 10 species of the 20 recognised species in the genus, plus a couple of aberrant forms that have come up from seed that he's got. One's a spicata with cut foliage and things like that. So he's got a pretty impressive collection down there. So, yeah, so we did a video on that. And within the next couple of weeks, there'll be a video on his plants with cordexes, so the swollen-based things that he's got. He's got all sorts of weird and wonderful cordex plants. And some very old ones. Yes. He's got... Elephant's feet, the, the Dioscorea, uh, Dioscorea, yeah. and he's got one that has to be a metre and a half each way. He took the, it out the back and yeah, saw that. Yeah, oh, incredible plants. So, yeah, so we've got uh, that video will come up shortly and we'll be going back again. He's got so many different things that we can film. I, we really didn't do his garden justice. I'd like to do a video just on the display gardens uh, and him and his background and all that sort of stuff. And we could do the Canary Island flora. We could do all sorts of stuff down there. It's just an amazing collection of plants. He's a collector. Oh, yeah. And, and a good horticulturalist and he's... He has a focus and a dedication yeah. too, which is... Yeah, he exhausts me with his enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, what about that spine made out of metal? He's never mm. had a back problem that I know of. He's, yeah. 
He's great. Yeah, he's amazing. He, the things he hoiks around and and creates with things, those huge, big, rusty metal things that he's got around. <laughs> God knows how he got those into the garden in some cases. But, yeah, so it's definitely worth a trip down to Rorama. They're open seven days a week, I think, from nine till five. Um, and I think it's just a gold coin donation, and you can go wander around his display garden, which is Fabulous. Truly remarkable. Yep. So definitely yep. worth it. And, yes, if anybody's going to have any psychads, uh, it's likely to be Lyle. So mm. uh, he will p- probably have them down there. But don't be too frightened about the prices because they won't be cheap because uh, they're slow. You know, so exactly. you know you you pay for all the time and effort that goes into these plants. Um, so yeah, yes, they're not going to be sort of on a specials table somewhere in the nursery. I'm I guarantee hope, that. Hoping that I'll be setting up a display garden in the next few years, and um, I've got a lot of stuff that I've got from seed. Uh, that I got about seven or eight years ago, but mm. the process is so slow. But eventually, I'll be able to share some, I reckon, mm. with other gardens and, um, and and growers as well. But and there must be a sharing between botanic gardens, mustn't there? Oh yeah, mm. absolutely. So, yeah, so I gave a, a, a plant to to Melton actually um, about four or five years ago. So I'll be interested to see how, how that's going for their South African collection. Right. Yeah. Yes, their South African collection has a few problems, mainly vandalism and theft. Yeah. Um, For some reason or another, the South African plants tend to cop it more than almost any of the other groups of plants they've got in the garden. It's shocking, Uh, isn't it? uh, I mean, somebody complained to me in the botanic gardens in Melbourne um, recently that there, you know, there weren't enough labels. I said they just get stolen all the time. It's really difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, yeah, so I always find when I'm in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens that it's the very plant I want to know what it is that doesn't have, have a, label. a label, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but anyhow, yeah. it is but, what uh, it is. But I've also, I mean, I've got a plant in my place which for some reason I flatly refuse to keep the name in my head. Yeah. And I know where it is in the Botanic Garden, so I wandered back recently to read the label because la- it's always been labelled. Guess what? Label's gone. Label's gone. Yeah. Now that's not going to be the gardeners. No. No. There's a lot more labels going out, I can say, from a horticultural point of view. Um, but there always are, Tim. We're, <laughs> as guides, we're always asking about labels yeah, and they're yeah. always saying we're putting more out and then I go and look for a label I know is there and it's gone. I mean, yeah. this is the story of people yeah. being... Yes, you're chasing your own tail with those sort of things, And just, it's so selfish. Yeah. I've got to have the label. Why don't you just photograph it and make your well, own label? And in fact, that's, that's the thing. These point. days, you don't need to steal the label. You've got your own um, mobile phone with you. Uh, it's just so simple. In fact, I've got into the habit when things are labelled, if it's something new I'm not familiar with, take a picture of the plant, take a picture of the label. Yes. Uh, or, in fact, go in and caption the picture before I close it away. Yes. Um, and that way I can always go back and find it again. And, um, yeah. And your map on your phone tells you exactly where it is as well. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. So, yeah, so you've got all that uh, science and, and stuff behind you. Uh, use it. Uh, would be far better than stealing the damn label, mm. uh, particularly if you're not going to do anything beyond just pinching the label, and that's what most people seem to do. See, we've also but, had people stealing the camellias in the mm. botanic gardens in Melbourne because there's some unusual camellias there. Mm. And, you know, you think, oh, how successful are you going to be stealing? I mean, because you've got to do it surreptitiously. You've got to climb over a fence. Yeah. I mean, you know, the process is difficult. Mm. Don't do it. Plant theft's always been a problem. And, and we've, there's been psychads that were stolen about a, a year or so ago in, in the botanic gardens as well. There's a few small um, 
small ones that went missing. So we put a little bit of an alert out to let people know that that was happening. These things come in in waves, but mm-hmm. and it happens all over the yeah. world as well. Kirsten You're Bosch, all, they had oh. metered trunked psychads which was stolen over a weekend. So oh, no. this was this was about 15, 20 years ago, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a problem, and stealing stuff from places like botanic gardens, though, that's they're mm. the, they're the places that we they're for everyone. So we we they're, need they're not only for everyone, but they have a, a whole research facility. So they're also about preserving things in a yeah. way that most other gardens just aren't. Exactly, and that yeah. that needs to be respected because yeah. it's a very important asset. Uh, I mean, that's what makes a botanic garden different. Exactly, and with climate change, and there's more and more research happening. We need to preserve these these species for mm. for science and for for you know future if if things need to go back into habitat. Um, botanic gardens are sometimes the last port of call, so it's, they're important. There is one plant in the gardens, another one whose name I can't remember just near the herbarium that was it was identified by parks and the botanic gardens were called in and they went in this is 15 years ago they went in and took cuttings and did various things and propagated this plant which had, had was unknown to science and they all got destroyed in the bushfires where they were, so they were the only ones in the world were in the botanic gardens. I mean, they, they've gone back now, of course, yeah. but but that is a perfect example. Mm. And and the other one, of course, is um, plants from Easter Island. Oh yes, Sephora Toromiro from exactly. Rapa Nui, exactly. uh, which was extinct, and somebody had the really bright idea to, to follow Captain Cook's route and try the botanic gardens on that route, and it was found in our botanic gardens. Mm. Mm. Which I, mean, I now a, grow it. Do you? Yep. Yep, I've got a friend who's got a plant in his garden. I go and collect seed every year. And so I propagate small batches. I mean, there's certain collectors who love to collect things that are extinct or near enough to extinct in the wild. That's part of the problem sometimes because they make something that was rare in the wild extinct in the wild sometimes. (laughs) Um, But those who are actually wanting to grow those plants to protect them and grow them and and keep them going. And I sold three Sephora Toromiros the other day to a guy who's – collecting rare and endangered plants. He, uh, he, he's planted Camellia amplexicaulis in his garden. That's now supposed to be extinct in the wild. Um, uh, he's put in the Sephoras. He wants to plant um, uh, Franklinia atamaha from uh, uh, North America, the Gordonia relative there that's been extinct since the 1790s in the wild. Um, so he's on the hunt to get as many of these sort of extinct or near extinct plants into his collection. Well, I, I, I know it did go back to Easter Island, but I think, I don't think it was successful. It wasn't. I think uh, it was pigs. Pigs or goats or something. Mm. Um, that They just couldn't the keep them out of the plants. And so I don't think they've been able to re-establish it back on, on Rapa Nui, unfortunately. Uh, it's a pretty shrub, though. It's something that could actually have quite good garden context as a plant. It doesn't grow all that big, has pretty yellow flowers on it, nice feathery foliage. Um, it's probably not one of those things that leaps out at you, um, but it's a charming little plant. And... Uh, to know its background and its history because apparently the wood was used by the Rapa Nuians way back to carve their um, uh, sacred totems. They used to use the wood of this plant. They used the wood of everything. Well, yeah, well, there's... Yeah. Be and left all themselves plants left. Mm. Yes, it, there's no wood left on Rapa Nui. But, um, yeah, so it had all sorts of important cultural things about it as well, that particular plant. So it's sort of nice to know it's still sort of hanging in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And grows well in Macedon? 
Seems <clears> to. <throat> the friend I've got who's got it in his garden, um, it'd be about metre and a half tall, I suppose. Quite a nice big bushy plant. Produces oodles of seed, uh, more than I'll ever need. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of those things I'll do, you know, 10 or a dozen a year or something like that. That's more than enough. But, you know, the plant is out there. Yes, well, I think it's very important to get it out there. Yeah. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward, and with me are Stephen Ryan and Tim Ubergang. If you want to ring us, ring us on 94198377 or text us on 0488 809 855. Yes, right. I think it's very important that we try and grow things that are And actually, that now, sort of almost segues into this plant because uh, I brought down a plant this morning and the pictures are up on um, our Facebook page and our Instagram account and so forth. And this is one of those cases of a plant being shared to keep it going. Uh, it's an Escananthus. Uh, they're in the Gesneriaceae family, so they're in the same family as the African violets and the streptocarpuses and gloxinias and things. And most of the um, Gesneriaceae family tend to be tropical or subtropical. Uh, this one comes from northern Vietnam, uh, and at the moment it's not defini- definitively pinned down with a name. So it's Escananthus, and we're saying affin bracteata, which means it's got an affinity to one that's known as bracteata. It it may in fact turn out to be just a form of Bracteata. It may turn out to be a new species or whatever. And this was growing in the Sydney Botanic Gardens from one of their collection trips somewhere. Wasn't doing terribly well. And one of the staff, via another staff member who was coming down to Victoria, said, take this down to Stephen Ryan. I'm sure it's going to do better for him down at Macedon in that cooler climate than what it does here in our humid summers uh, in Sydney. So anyhow, Julie, this plant arrived, uh, a little thing in a six-inch pot, um, and uh, I was very excited to get a new plant to add to my collection, but I wasn't really sure how well I was going to do with it. The thing has turned out to be just such a good plant. It's so impressive. Yeah, it's got the most wonderful bronzy burgundy colours to the foliage. Uh, it has tubular, curved, dark, sort of almost bruised burgundy-coloured flowers on it. Flowers for months. Uh, I've got it in a wire-hanging basket with a core... Um, coconut fibre liner. It actually grows through the basket, so it's, it comes out the bottom and all around it. And all I do is I keep it moist, and every so often I throw a few Osmocote pellets at it. Is the new growth sort of really burgundy? Oh, yes, the showy? new growth on it in the in the late spring is really dark burgundy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's a really, really pretty plant. Um, Tell us its name again. Escananthus. Uh, Which is spelt... A-E-S-C-H-Y-C-A-N-T-H-U-S. Escananthus. It is up on the thing, and I did put the name in for people. And as I said, I'm growing it as Bracteatus at the moment. It may or may not turn out to be that species. I've been promised by somebody up in New South Wales that if the research is done and they do pin down a name for it, they'll let me know. But at the moment, that's what I'm growing it as because I have no other name to grow it under. And... I've always maintained that if you want to keep something, you make sure you give it away or it's out with somebody else because, you know, I lived through the Ash Wednesday bushfires in 83, (laughs) lost lots of valuable plants in the fires. Um, So by making sure I had it uh, in a better climate than what Sydney could offer it, uh, I'm propagating it. I'm then selling it on to other people. Uh, The plant now... probably tenuous hold on cultivation, but it's out there a bit. Uh, If it had been left in a pot up at Sydney to just languish, um, 
it could easily have disappeared altogether in due course. Mm. Um, so this particular plant would have disappeared and it's got p- really good horticultural potential, I think, Absolutely. as a, it's as a beautiful. plant, a plant that could be propagated up in quantity. I mean, it flowers in a in a 20-centimetre pot. Um, uh, We're lucky we don't have a third person here because yeah, there's no space for a third disappeared person. Disappeared behind <laughs> the plant. Yeah. Yeah. It's and winter and it's got... Th- you know, 30, 40 flowers on it. Yeah, it's just a fabulous thing and it flowers for months and months and months. Uh, its foliage is good all year. It's new Do growth. Do you hang it in the nursery or yeah, do you yeah, hang it Yeah, I've got it, it hanging home? up. Uh, mm. No, it's, it's hanging in the nursery. I've got a, a section in the bottom shade house where I'm putting sort of semi-epiphytic things, which includes my tropical blueberries and other sundry things. Um, so I've got all these hanging baskets hanging out there, none of which are for sale, but I do have in most cases, young plants that people can buy when they see the big one, if they want one. And um, they're just such easy plants. I mean, we get some quite heavy frosts and all it does is make the foliage look more burgundy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flowers don't seem to be affected by the cold. Um, and, you know, you think Vietnam and, you know, initial thoughts are, oh, well, tropical. Yeah. But, you know, in northern Vietnam high. particularly, there's high mountains like the Fanispan Mountains and places like that where there's lots of temperate plants. Uh, I've got a couple of agapetes, the um, yeah. blueberry relatives from the Himalayas that come from northern Vietnam. I've got one that... A friend of mine sent me a tiny little cutting, and it's still a tiny little cutting from Tasmania. And uh, it's a Vietnamese agapetes that nobody's been able to pin down yet with green flowers. Um, haven't flowered it yet because it's only two inches tall. But, um, you know, so these things are out there and they need to be propagated. And, of course, you know, we think we think that we know everything. Well, we don't. Oh, we so don't. Oh, RBG Vic has just discovered a new species of fungi. Yeah. It's called... Pseudobispora taluna, which is the name of the Huon River. So I yeah. presume it was discovered somewhere in yeah. Tasmania. Now this is actually a, a, I follow a few people on uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, that basically just post newly described plants. Oh. And there's begonias that they're finding almost weekly uh, in different parts of the world. Uh, and there's all sorts of other stuff that pops up on these sites that I've been following uh, in, you know, sometimes quite obscure genuses that I don't really know anything about, but often in quite well-known genus and particularly things like begonia. I mean, they're discovering new ones weekly, quite literally. Oh, well, uh, let's go and put a coal mine there and yeah, then we'll get yeah. rid of all of them. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, it's it, it's fascinating because they're naming things all the time and, and it's also with animals. I mean, there's new frogs being discovered. There's mm. new small marsupials being discovered. There's all sorts of creatures that are being found um, that they didn't know were out there, sometimes hiding underneath, underneath another species because they look rather similar. And so they've done the science, realised that this is actually a unique animal or plant. I think there's a cave in Vietnam that they just that was just rediscovered five or so years ago. Yeah, and and there was a whole new bunch of species of things found in them. So oh yeah, yeah. So there's oodles for us to learn yet, uh, and we've just got to be careful we don't destroy everything before we get to learn about it. And ca- and try and find them before the climate changes. So oh yeah, well that's them. the other issue. I mean, I know uh, Cranbourne are doing quite a bit of work on. Um, high altitude things from northern Queensland because yep. they're slowly being pushed to their limit and, and as, there's nowhere as, to go. As is the RBG, as, as is some um, Tex. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Up there because they've got the right climate for it there as well. Yeah, yeah. And, so, they, and the, um, the camellias are going up there. Yeah, well, as they should. I mean camellias. I don't mean camellias. Viburnums. 
No, I don't know. Rhododendrons. The rhododendrons. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, well, any of the rhododendrons at the RBG would be much happier up in the Dandenongs, quite obviously. No, but I mean the the rhododendrons that are Queensland, high Queensland plants. Yeah, well, we've only got two. Two, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So, and there's still dispute about that. There's some people that don't believe we've got two species, but we have. Unfortunately, they're both red, so there's not a huge difference between the two species, so some people still think that there's only Lockie, but anyhow. Well, they're wrong. (laughs) Stephen, when is the best time to propagate hibiscus? I've had absolutely no success to date. It depends on which hibiscus. I mean, hibiscus is another comparatively large genus. If it's the deciduous sort of hibiscus syriacus types, the rows of Sharon ones, I'd do them from winter cuttings and just row them out like you would hydrangeas or something like that. You should get a good take. Um, if they're the more tropical type hibiscuses, I'd do them from summer cuttings and put them under a bell jar or something like that to keep the humidity up. Um, and that would be the best way to go. But then again, there's there's herbaceous perennial hibiscuses that you dig and divide. So, yeah, so it really does depend on which hibiscus we're talking about. If it's the classic sort of Rosa sinensis types, the, the large-flowered sort of Hawaiian-type hibiscuses, um, then I would do them from summer cuttings. And then the same person asks, is there any way of getting seed from rare plants from the botanic gardens generally? And in my experience, the only way to get plants from botanic gardens is through their friends groups. Is yeah, this yeah, right? I'd say that and unfortunately, exactly right. the friends group don't propagate everything. They propagate some of the things they think will be successful for sales because obviously they're trying to raise money for the botanic garden. So mm-hmm. if they raise something really obscure, they may not sell it anyway. So they, and, and there's also the issues of things that might have some weedy potential or other things that they're not allowed to grow because of that, but it's still growing in the gardens. So they have lots of things they've got to follow. Um, I have to say, I would love to see a slightly better connection between commercial horticulture and the botanic gardens. Um, I think it's become far too bureaucratic and difficult to source material via the botanic gardens. Uh, I used to have a very uh, laissez-faire sort of attitude about going to the gardens. I'd go down, um, I'd tell them what I wanted out of the gardens, I'd go through their accession list and say, I'd like some of that. We'd work out where they were. Uh, they'd send somebody around with me, I'd get cuttings, I'd take them home. None of the things I propagated ever from the botanic gardens have ever made me much money, but they were all plants I just wanted to make sure were still in cultivation. Yep. And nurseries are a good way to keep things in cultivation. And then if the botanic gardens needed anything from me, I just gave it to them. But then it became so complicated to do and I had to fill out all sorts of paperwork and and they were always a bit worried that something I might propagate from the gardens might have big commercial potential and they weren't going to get anything out of it. And it all became too hard. I stopped asking and then if the Botanic Gardens want something from me now, they pay for it. And I think it's really sad. Um, You know, there's, there's going to only be a handful of people like me that are going to be interested in plants from the botanic gardens necessarily. And so it wouldn't be that hard for them to engage with people like myself and say, all right, well, yes, come and get the cuttings you want. Um, You can send somebody around with me in the gardens to make sure I don't butcher anything. Um, I don't have an issue with that. I don't want anything in quantity anyway. I just need a few cuttings of any given thing. And yes, and then I'd be oodly, I'd be so generous with stuff from the nursery if anybody wanted it for the gardens. But I don't think any of the botanic gardens actually deal in seed. No, not really. No. no they collect no. seed for the seed exchanges. Yeah, they, they, they only have their own seed to, to grow their own plants on, but they, they never really have enough to sort of for that sort of 
more commercial process. Mm. And we do get emails often about people wanting seed and we just don't have that ability to, 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 to do it. And I don't know where the differences when, when it and how and why it changed, but, um, yeah, there, but there's know probably opportunities. See, the friends are having a lot more difficulty in propagating things than they did a long time ago. Now the, the weed potential is really so yeah. um, under the magnifying glass yeah. that something's weedy in yes, Siberia. North of, <laughs> or north of Sydney and we're not allowed to grow it down here. Yeah. yeah. Well, not- there, there is the wrap process that they have to, to the weed risk assessment process and it's an, an important stage in it because we've got to be careful to be the, um, the people that are, have, the, have the, the big collections and promoting plants and we've got to be careful not to promote plants. You don't want more agapanthus out in the dandenongs and other things. Yeah, I have like to say, that, though, so. there, there is the issue that if something is so well entrenched out in commercial horticulture anyway the few that the Botanic Gardens Friends Group would grow the same thing. I mean, aquilegias. Yeah. I mean, they're so entrenched in horticulture. Everybody has them. You can buy seed anywhere. There's lots of different species. Some of them aren't even that easy to grow. Uh, so it's a um, it's one of those sort of popular perennial border plants. And if the Botanic Gardens then turn around and say, oh, you can't grow any aquilegias because they can go weedy, um, it's not going to have any impact on the plant, whether it's weedy or not in, in, in general. Well, I suppose most of those are available commercially Com- anyway. Completely available commercially. Yeah. Now, somebody has um, said that they're having trouble with streaming the show and our producers have said www.acma.gov.au which is the Australian Comms and Media Authority, have a digital radio section on how to improve screening. Somebody else has texted in to say True Green Nursery in Melton has cycads. Oh, yeah, that's another one. I sort of forget about them. They're they're sort of hidden away over there and they have lots of different palms and all that sort of stuff as well. So, yes, so they could be a possibility. But it may just be uh, revoluters. It may may not be anything particularly rare. When I was in the system garden, um, I forget the guy's name now who I dealt with, but they were really good. Mm. Um, They got me a lot of stuff. They have a good connection. Um, They have like a sister, a nursery in Queensland. So True green. Yeah, true green. So if you wanted something, they could actually get it down. For you. Um, so, Craig, there's one for you. True Green yes. in Milton. Yeah, my side of town for a change. <laughs> <laughs> but again, be, you got to be careful of that stuff when you get it down and make sure you go through the hardening off process yes. because that, those nice, soft, lush foliages oh. into the. You know. I fell for that years ago with bamboos. Uh, I decided I'd get a range of, you know, cold, hardy bamboos. But at the time, the only place you could get them were from nurseries up in northern New South Wales and Queensland. And yes, they were cold, hardy bamboos, but they weren't used to the cold. (laughs) And so there's a difference. Uh, And they struggled. Uh, In fact, it must uh, have been what happened to you when you came back from seven weeks away. Oh, God, yes, I struggled. Yes, 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 I'm still (laughs) struggling with the cold weather uh, after coming back from Spain and France where it was all lovely and warm and sunny and what have you. Uh, But yes, I think virtually all those bamboos over a period of time just slowly faded away I couldn't even get oh, them really? I couldn't really get them to acclimatize again but I've since replaced a lot of those bamboos from southern sources where there'd been nurseries that had started growing them in, in Victoria and yeah they're tough bamboos but yeah they just wouldn't uh, acclimatize they just got worse and worse and I just pulled them out in the end mm. so there you go Adrian has texted in an alternative for glyphosate whoops it's just moved 
Vigilant 2, which is a gel for dabbing on woody weeds. It's worth a look. Vigilant 2. I'm not familiar with the product. I don't know what's in it. No. Well, yes, but we will investigate, Adrian. Thank you. Yes, yes, it's uh, it's worthwhile having a look at. Mm, Definitely. All right. So, well, I reckon we should have a look at a couple of the things that Tim's bought in. Yeah, what's he's, that he's bought in some weird, weird things. All right. Well, the one that I bought in here is it's from a, a pot plant of mine. It's um, Chrysophyllum um, imperial, and it's actually a. It's from Brazil. Um, it's a twenty-five, thirty-meter tree, and it's one that Tim Entwistle is always going on about. Um, and, and for good reason, because I've got this plant. Uh, I grew from seed. It's about two metres tall, two and a half metres tall in a pot. Um, and that, and that leaf is, how long is that leaf? I'd say that's two foot long. Easily. Yeah. If not more. It's, a, it's, um, it's getting on towards a metre. I have taken a photo of this leaf in the studio with Tim holding it. So hopefully Lizzie will get that up. Yeah. For everyone to have a look at. It's a yeah. hugely long leaf. It's a, a threatened species um, in Brazil. And there's a, a re- the, probably the biggest one in Australia is in the Sydney Botanic Gardens where um, I think even Brazil have tried to get seed from that so they can um, start to reintroduce it to different areas of the country. But it's um, imperial, imperial is referring to, to the leaf size on... on believing um and there's three growing in the botanic gardens i saw this week they're only really small plants they're they're in the ground and they're yeah so we don't want to draw attention to them or they might walk (laughs) yeah well you're not going to be able to steal these um the the plants but they're they're sort of yeah they're they're having so what family is it in where does it belong phylum um because just looking at that great big leaf, it could be anything. Sapotasi. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes sense to some. And the, <laughs> yeah, and the and the seeds are really really hard little seeds about the size of a co- look like a cockroach with its legs ripped off. Oh, that um, sounds a bit violent. But anyhow, <laughs> yes, I get what you mean. Uh, but. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, so it's growing all right in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, and it's from Brazil. I'm assuming, though, that if I took it up country, I'd kill it straight away. I reckon you'd struggle. It's it's from um, eastern Brazil in the in the lowland rate rainforest up oh, to yeah. about 800 meters. So yeah. you're probably in your range. So hopefully they're growing it in the Sydney bot. Yes. Oh yeah. No, well they got a big tree there. It's a mature mm. tree that was. Planted by the a king or prince or some someone oh, so got, um, in the eighteen hundreds. It's uh, it's got provenance. <laughs> magnificent, magnificent tree in the Sydney Botanic Gardens, near their sort of nursery arid garden, and yeah, that's that's probably one of their best trees in the whole gardens. I reckon it is exciting when when to hear that you know Sydney Botanic has sent seed to Brazil, and I know we've sent seed. To Easter Island, mm. and it, it, it's wonderful when you hear those those stories. And there's a collection in the herbarium that I think came from Brazil, which von Mueller bought, and it's an incredibly valuable predict- collection for them because it has examples of things that have been extinct for ages, and nobody else has those. Yeah. It's why they, you know, why mm. these herbariums are so important. Again, this research facility that botanic gardens do. Yeah, no, it's it's really important. Uh, and this one's 
in full shade almost mm. um, in a pot. Um, and to have that's so it'll probably make leaves. quite a, a good pot plant or even potentially an indoor plant. Potentially an indoor plant. Yeah. This, oh, I was thinking about this this morning, and I think I've had it for about fourteen years. So again, it's another slow grower. So it's slow. Is it a slow grower, or is it you've almost bonsaied it because you've kept it in a pot all that time? I, when I repotted it, it was getting big, and I thought it was going to be the roots were going to be congested, but it, it wasn't at all. So I yeah, potted oh. it up. It's just slow, slow yeah, just rainforest slow growing. Because yeah. I know that was one of the things with the Cassonias when we were down at Rorama. Lyle's got a couple of different species in containers that have been there 15 or 20 years in the one pot and they've only ever got to a couple of metres tall. And if he was to release them and put them out into the ground, they'd go zoom and they'd be this enormous big thing. But they've sort of become more or less natural bonsais and their bark's become really fissured and their base of the trunks have become swollen and almost cordex-like. And uh, they're amazing-looking plants. And yeah. and they've just been, you know, treat them mean and they, they just keep living, but they don't actually grow much. Yeah. So... But that thing obviously is quite different. It's just very slow. Yeah, well, and, and it's also I think the cool our cool climate probably yeah. keeps it a little bit slower, which is good for me because I yeah you don't not, want a forty foot tree. No, no. Our very regular listeners, Vicky and Peter, have said we've seen the Chrysocephalum in Sydney Botanic Gardens, where it is truly magnificent. I was only aware of one in Melbourne Botanic Gardens along Anderson Street, where it seems to be mm. jammed in a bit. Although lately they seem to have been cleaning up around it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the biggest one is in Anderson Street, mm. and because we've had so much rain over the last three years, it's actually looking better than what it did about five years ago. So, yeah, so it's enjoyed the La Nina events. Yeah, and it it must be I don't know six six meters tall, yeah, but well, very but bit sort of leggy. Yeah, um, it was as the person said, it was a little bit crammed in. Um, Sounds like my garden. P- Peter is an, is another. He has got. The most in Notting Hill, the most extraordinary plants that you've never heard of, mm. never seen before. He's a real collector, that man. <laughs> Fascinating program, all. I love the Cycad collection on the hillside at the RBG. I've noted masses of big orange seeds at certain times of the year. Can plants be grown from the seed? What's the process, Paul? Yeah, they can be grown from the seed, but not the ones at the Botanic Gardens because you need a male and a female. So we we've just uh, we've just been starting to do an audit and going around and trying to record how many males and females we have of each species, and we'd like to start some um, to to um, hand pollinate them and get some more plants out of them. And I think I think that's what we'll we'll do in the future. Um, but the diversity at the Botanic Gardens of the Cycad collection, particularly in the Cycad beds and also near the William Tell shelter on that rockery wall, which I think he's talking about. Yeah, they're really quite spectacular. Mm. Uh, a colleague from Sydney was down um, <coughs> last Christmas and he was really impressed by the species that were, were growing there. Mm. Don't um, forget the system garden. And There's the some syst- quite nice cycads down in the system garden as well at Melbourne Uni. Yeah, there is. I, yeah. I, that's where I. That's where all this passion actually started. Mm. And um, yeah, my small collection that I got going down there, which um, uh, my colleague Virginia McNally now looks after. She is um, looking after those. And there's yeah, there's a really quite a good diversity in there. We've got. Uh, 
oh, there's horridus, there's psychas, there's encephalitis, there's um, uh, macrosamias. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a good collection down yeah, there for yeah, sure. For a small garden, a, yeah, absolutely. it's definitely worth a, a walk in and a look around at the system garden. I love it, and it's good yeah. as part of the teaching process. Yeah. You can sort of has a bit of a narrative to it, so you can sort of put it together and talk about the narrative of an evolution garden and a teaching garden that was, yeah, uh, Frederick McCoy started in 1856. And just think, there wasn't even an Australia as such back then. No. You know, so it was the colony of Victoria, and here they have this system garden that they've set up um, uh, well before Federation and all that sort of thing. And it would have been back in a time where evolution was still being debated um, as opposed to creationism. Um, So I just find the whole thing at that time uh, and with the way people would have thought in those days – Truly remarkable. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, McCoy, who started it, he was a creationist. Mm. Um, so he started the garden in 1856. Then it was 1859 when mm. Origin of the Species, I think, Yeah, something came like out. that. Yeah, so, so it was before then. It was all brewing and it was really quite interesting. But um, no, the, the, the system garden has a, a lot to offer. And it's, it's, I think it's the only one of its kind in the southern hemisphere of its size um, in between the School of Botany and the School of Agriculture, which is now called Biosciences 2 and 3, sadly. But it's it's extraordinary when you think about it. That systems garden is just so important and Burnley is so important. 100%, yeah. And Melbourne University is in control of both these things. Yeah, well... Which is positively scary. <laughs> <laughs> we can say that. Uh, but, they, yeah, look, I, I was I was really lucky when I, when I worked there because I was able to work with the, the School of Botany um, under the, the tutelage of Pauline Lordigies, who was the Dean of Botany at the time. She sort of um, gave me direction to my for my study to take in systematics and, and plant evolution um, and and Andrew Drinnan and and Virginia McNally all those people sort of helped guide me and we we're, were able to get some we got a hundred and twenty thousand dollars of grant money from from the state government and we sort of improved and we got a master plan master plan together. Which um, and all of that must actually make the garden quite much safer, having had that sort of input. Yeah, well, a safer future for sure. Yes, because it was... it's a lovely site to put another ugly building on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I did a, I wrote some hi- a history report about it um, a couple of years ago, and the amount of times that site was looked at mm. for um, for new buildings, it was only by certain academics that put their foot down and. And saved it, and we're really lucky. It's it's a garden that anyone can go and visit only Monday to Fridays, unless there's uh, open days. But free entry, go and walk in. There's mm. a really amazing bee hotel in there, Insect yeah. Hotel. Um, They've got eucalyptus diclupta. Yeah, I planted that yeah, one. Um, and it's doing really well. I was very impressed. It's far better than the one in the Botanic Gardens. Yeah, that one's <laughs> suffering a little yeah. bit. But, um, yeah, no, that, that was an experiment. I put a, I put three into the Australian Rainforest Garden, but I think it's like the it's like crack for possums. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they stripped those three right down to, to, to nothing, and we have one plant left. And so I grabbed that and we put it in the lawn and protected it. And, yeah, it it's looks looking like it's really good. I, I reckon it's it's give it a couple of years. I still remember the first time I ever saw Deglupta, which mm. was in 
in Hawaii, and oh, I was yeah, well, just blown away. Yeah. It's the most if anybody hasn't seen eucalypt. it, look up rainbow gum uh, on the internet, and you'll see images that look like they've been photoshopped because some of the bark colours are just unbelievable. And so, it's the only eucalyptus not from Australia. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a real outlier. So it's a tropical tree. Its leaves sit flat instead of hanging like most eucalypts do. Mm. Um, it's got quite a lot of un-eucalyptus-like characteristics. And it has the most beautiful bark. Oh. Oh. Virtually any tree I've seen. We've got a call from Robert in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Yes, good morning, experts all. Good morning. <laughs> How can we help you, Robert? Well, I've got a little cycad that's uh, been sitting in the pot for far too long. But, uh, uh, it's got a uh, base probably about the size of a reasonable pineapple, a couple of leaves uh, about two foot long. But it has been neglected, unfortunately. What species what do, do you think it? it is? Do you think it's a, a cycas, like a revoluta? Do you know what it is, Robert? Uh, no. The uh, label is long gone. Right. Yeah. I'd take a punt on revoluta because it's yeah. the most likely one to be out yeah, there. Yeah. So... Uh, and- it- like Virginia's, it's um, yeah. I, I'd say p- potentially it just needs repotting because um, normal potting mix really breaks down quickly and turns to pudding at the bottom of the pot. Um, it prevents it's it stops drainage, um, and drainage is is the most important thing for cycads. I yeah. Think. Yeah, so a repot. Now, when you're talking about repotting, though, uh, would you do the repotting in late winter, early spring, like you do with a lot of plants? Is that I, the time? I would do it in, yeah, spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mid so to late spring. as the spring. weather's starting to warm. Yeah. yeah. Summer is te- technically their, their growing season, so that's the best and more But more am I safe time. to repot mine now? Because it's so sad. What? Mine's worse than yours, Robert. <laughs> this isn't a competition. It's pretty bad, though, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to go into competition with anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I, I would wait. Um, yeah, waiting, waiting is best. And when I repot too, I um, just put in a free-draining mix. I usually hose hose the roots. I spray them with a, a, an anti-rot just to make sure that they're nice and clean, pull off any, any roots that are, um, that are black and obviously the dead. They're such tough plants. You can, you can reduce a lot of the roots and if you look after them, they'll, they'll come back pretty well. But it's sort of it's that old, um, just, it's, it's you know, good, good light, good air movement, um, good drainage, I think, are, are the good things. And give it a feed in, in spring, spring, summer as well. A feed of... Um, yeah. you, you can throw in a, like a, um, an osmocote, a slow release now, or some, um, sort of palletized chicken manures, even good little, little handful at the bottom of the pot when you pot repot and, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll slowly break down. Yeah, it'll just think a pterodactyl's flown past. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that helpful for you, Robert? That, 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 that's probably helpful and it probably says that it's, it's been where it hasn't been getting enough light. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, there you go. All Good right, luck. once again, folks, thank you very much for a wonderful show. <laughs> thank you, Robert. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Oh, dear. <laughs> That's, um, and John Bentley has said that his is still in a pot. Oh, okay. At Melton because they've been a bit nervous about putting it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, And I can understand that. 
put it out and make sure it drains, drains, yeah. drains. And I make th- sure you put it somewhere it's not likely to get nicked. Yeah, yes. well, that, that was the good thing about the, the system garden is that it was a closed garden. They closed mm. it every night. It was closed on the weekends. Yeah. But still, when I first started, I got very nervous. I used to wire, put star pickets in the ground and yeah. wire the cordexes in to yeah. make sure they didn't get stolen. It was... <sighs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's just unfortunately... It's Quite the way. Sensible. Yes. Yeah, it is the yes. way, unfortunately. And look, some people don't steal things with an intent. They steal things because they don't know that there's uh, that it's inappropriate to take plants. I mean, I get people in the nursery all the time who they're not stealing a plant, but they'll pick something off my plant to bring it over to me to ask me <laughs> what it is. And I get so annoyed. Uh, I had a, a Marlborough rock daisy. Young plant, only oh, yeah. put in the ground 12 months earlier. It had three flowers on it. I thought, I'll get some seed. And somebody walked in with one of the flowers. Well, no. Didn't have a phone on them. No, or I or just didn't think. <laughs> they picked it and walked in with it. What's a, this? And said, what's this? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I'm not going to tell you because you just picked something off one of my plants that I was saving for seed. I thought, these people have got to learn that this isn't appropriate, um, particularly yeah. in a commercial setting. I mean, you don't pick anything off a plant that a nurseryman's growing. You don't know what he wants to do with it. Yeah, um, that's true. And, you know, it's bad enough nicking cuttings over people's fences and things like that. I mean, in some ways I sort of disapprove of it. And in, and in fact, I've never done it because I don't see the need. If I see something in somebody's garden I want, I go and knock on the door and I don't think I've ever had anybody knock me back and say, no, you can't. Mm. Uh, Most people are so excited that they've got something that you want uh, that they'll go and grab their secretaires straight away and and you can help yourself. So I've never been knocked back about taking plant cuttings off things. So why on earth would you steal it? Well, I I love giving people things out of my garden, but I don't want them to take them. No. That's a different thing. Yeah, it is. It's quite a different thing. Mm. So, yes, and certainly from a nurseryman's perspective, you do not pick things in a nursery uh, because you have no idea what that nurseryman wants to do. I actually had a lady years ago, I had a a, a mat of prostrate thyme, and she grabbed hold of it and pulled it out of the ground and came up and said, oh, I just found this lying on the ground. Can I have it? (laughs) She was someone else that got short shift. Of course, uh, grab it. Yeah, yeah. It was lying on the ground. Of course it was lying on the ground. It was a prostrate time, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's what they do. Um, so, yeah, so you do find some very strange people out there that just have no concept of what they're, what they're doing, which is rather sad. Great no. thing in the nursery trade, too, is that we can swap. I love the, I love the swapping in that collegiate yes. relationship yeah. to have to, um, to swap and trade. Yeah, as well. I've got more and more into that as I've got older and older. I mean, years ago you'd go, oh, if I give that to somebody else, they'll propagate it and then I won't be the only one that has it. Uh, but then you think about it and you think, well, even if they are propagating it, neither of us are probably going to flood the market. Uh, they'll be somewhere else. And, um, and, you, I mean, and I've always got it back again if I need it. And exactly, and you've been more and more involved with Plum Trust, and well, the whole point is to try and make sure lots of people. Like I saw my um, Rhinocanthus speziana for sale yeah. the other day in a nursery that I had no idea, and I, I was the only person who had it aside from the botanic gardens. Mm. And I was thrilled to see it there. Yeah, it is. And she sold one of them that day. She had no idea what it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Well, um, oh, I know what it is. And, uh, and yes, I try and convince people to buy it. I actually find it quite hard to sell and I don't understand why. It's got the most... You need, its leaves are great. Its leaves are beautiful. Mm. It's down in Terry's Garden in the Chinese bits. Okay. And yeah. it's... It's, it's acanthaceae and white flowers in sort of panicles above these big... Like a miniature version of the chrysophila leaf. It's sort of really heavily veined and, uh, and beautiful and dark green. And it's a gorgeous plant. And it survives my frosts up at Mount Nassau. Mm. Oh, wow. That's, so Rhinocanthus does quite well for me. It sort of looks a bit like a brilliantasia-y sort of thing, um, but brilliantasia just frosts out on me, so I can't keep that alive. But the Rhinocanthus does really well. It, it is an absolutely beautiful flower, and yeah. it flowers in autumn. Mine's still not in flower. It's got buds on the top of it. Oh, mine's already finished. Yeah, well, mine's got – I was looking at it just the other day. But Craig's never flowers. Doesn't it? No, which I think he might not have it in enough sun. It's in. It's an interesting plant. It was brought back, I think, by that right. trip that Terry yeah, right. et al. did to China in the late 1990s. Let me go and have a look at it tomorrow. And it's, they've got it up in the mountain botanic gardens in Sydney mm. and it looks fabulous up there. And I know Sydney... Friends sell it, but in Melbourne you've just never yeah, it wasn't ever seen around. It. But yeah, and somebody and, and gave it to again, me. It's so easy to propagate. It is incredibly. <laughs> it's just it, it quite literally would strike in a glass of water, um, and so it's easy to prop. Uh, it looks good. It's got uh, the most beautiful flowers. Yeah, and, and it's a big plant. You know, it grows. Okay. Mine, mine must be six or seven foot high. Yeah, well, mine oh, certainly wow. head height or more in the mm. garden at home, and it's multiple stems from the ground. Uh, but it's covered in buds, but it still hasn't flowered this year. It flowered. Well, last year though, at, at a more appropriate time, so I think it's still going to bloom. Mm. Um, it's just holding off. Yeah, I must. It, I must see if um, Vicky and Peter have got it. If not, give them some of mine because that's a rare plant, and he mm. loves totally rare plants. Another, another interesting one. Yep. Which reminds me, Vicky. I mean, Peter has sent in. Does the botanic gardens have a camellia azalea? I yes, there is a camellia called azalea, which is a bit confusing, and I think they do. I think Highly likely, there. yeah, given yeah. that we've got some of the rarest. And I think Peter Teese has uh, been growing Camellia azalea, so it's it's actually available commercially. I'm not altogether sure the name is now current, though. I've got a funny feeling they've changed the name of that one. I'd have to look it up. Um, but um, it's a pretty little Camellia, I suppose, uh, but it's apparently quite endangered, and whether it's actually extinct in the wild, I don't know. Single little cerisi red flower on it, um, and it's quite a pretty thing, and yes, it's a Certainly quite a rare one, and I'd be seriously surprised if the bot gardens don't have it. I'm pretty sure they do. I, I'm, I'm not too... I, uh, I'm going, I'll go and have a look today because well, I'm doing Amy, a walk at half past ten. Well, Amy is in my team who who curates a chameleon rhododendron collection, and um, I'm pretty sure it is in there, but I, I don't know the plant by sight. No, it's an accepted species. Uh, so Oh, it's... Pink, it's beautiful. Yeah, I've seen a darker pink than that, though. I think that photo is And you think powerful. Peter Teese is growing it? Yeah, I'm sure he's got it. I don't know whether he's got any for sale, but I know he's got it in his collection because I've right. seen it up at his nursery. So, you know, but Peter has lots of stuff in his nursery that you can't find a plant for, for sale of. Um, that's probably my problem as well to a certain extent because um, you just have to have all these plants and you can't always get around oh. to propagating them. Oh, and the reason Peter's asking is that Sydney Botanic Gardens had a story about Camellia azalea the ah. other day. Ah, right. Somebody has asked what, which rhinocanthus, I didn't know there was lots of them, it's rhinocanthus beziana. 
yes, I've got a funny feeling there are a number of rhinocanthus species, um, uh, but this one I think is probably one of the best. And I'm just doing a quick little hunt and the rhino uh, I must have spelt it. That's the only trouble when you go into the plants of the world online with Q. If you don't get the spelling exactly right, yeah. um, it just says no results. <laughs> What's so, the family, Stephen? It's a, a canthaceae. Oh, sorry, you said yeah, that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and um, Gillian has texted in about our garden party. Gillian, I'll ask the um, producers to take down your. E- other email, but we probably haven't. I mean, we're all volunteers. We probably haven't sent anything out. What I'll have is a list of people who have said they're coming, and we'll check them out at the door. So just turn up. Oh no, of course everybody needs to know where I am. So we do have to send something. Yeah, out Yeah, you'd to have everybody. to send something out. So yeah. we will send something out, and I'm sure we haven't done it. And we'll take down your alternative um, Gmail address too. And um, thank you for bringing your, uh, my attention to this, Gillian, because I'm thinking, oh, there's about 40 people coming to the garden party. Hmm, that'll be nice. For today? Oh, no, no, it's oh. a garden party. It's part of our fundraising for the station. It's in November, so I've got a bit of time to send okay. out the information. Nice. And I will do it. <laughs> and there's 26 accept- accepted species of rhinocanthus. 26 species. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's not a vastly big genus. And I bet there's only one in Australia. It'd be very interesting. To ask your phone if there's more in Australia than Bisiana. Yeah. Because given Terry et al. brought it in, there probably isn't. Mm. Yeah, was, well, and I don't know where the whole genus comes from. I mean, some of these genera are quite broadly spread, um, and so it could come from all over the place. So, uh, but yes, it's definitely a plant to look out for. And funnily enough, I have it for sale if you're looking for one. Uh, it's really good. I like rhinocanthus and it will grow well in Melbourne. So, And I have, I have one of those obscure questions now, Stephen, which Uh-oh, is for good. you. Um, is there anyone growing and selling Trevisia palmata? God, I don't know whether anybody's growing for sale. I mean, it used to be a popular indoor plant sort of 30, 40 years ago, and you could buy it in Coles and Woolworths. Well, we were just talking about that one before, weirdly, and actually... um, Yeah, I reckon Mr Google was listening to what we were saying, and then they've inspired somebody (laughs) to ring in about uh, Trevisia. Well, um, Roraima used to sell it, but my colleague who I was just speaking to before, Amy from the, um, the Camellia curator has just planted two in the in the edge of the collection so Roraima did have it mm. um but it's not a very common plant it's a yeah. snowflake plant and again I I've got one at home and I wish I bought a leaf of that in because that's yeah, a, oh, a wonderful foliage plant it's a huge snowflake it's called snowflake palm I think is the yeah. common name but um Southern China I think again yeah. and and far too cold sensitive for me uh, I would have thought it's just fine in Melbourne if you've just got a nice sheltered spot to put it. Mine's in pretty good shade. Yeah. Um, and yeah. whereabouts has she planted it in the gardens? Uh, in the camellia, in the camellia garden. And I've seen it actually at the Melbourne Zoo as well. Mm. Um, now, that's a, that's a fabulous garden, which people yeah, don't and, tend and to go and look at. And they cut it 
in half at about yeah. sort of a metre and a half high and then it's just reshot and started off mm. again. And I think yeah. you can do it from um, branch cuttings. You possibly could, although having said that, the branches are quite big and heavy, so yeah. some things with really heavy branching arrangements don't actually make particularly good cutting material. So question, but, your Trevisia in yeah. the RBG, where would that have come from? That came from Roraima. Came from yeah. Roraima. And my, the one I got is from Roraima, but the, my, my one at home is about two and a half metres tall at the moment. And it's just started branching and it's, um, yeah, it's a, such a stunning plant, like a large, f- tall, skinny fatsia yeah. but with large yeah. leaves. It's got that sort of tetrapanax fatsia sort of look about it because uh, yeah. it's in the same group. It's in the Aureliaceae group. Um, so highly likely I'd struggle with it at my place then. Yeah. Uh, well, apart from the cold, I reckon you'd be a bit exposed for it up there. I think the leaves would get ripped to bits by yes. your wind. Yes, uh, So, yes, I wouldn't attempt Trevisia at your place. No. But Google that one. That's a stunner. Even the way the new leaves come out, mm. they're really soft and furry and they sort oh, of fold out. It's like gorgeous a plant. Yep. Yes. Uh, I didn't favorites. see any of it down at Lyles when I was down there the other day, but... Having said that, <laughs> I could so easily, much. yeah, I could easily have missed it because um, uh, he he could well have it down there somewhere. But uh, fabulous plant, and uh, yeah, great indoor plant. Um, so. This this is the Three CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia, and with me are Tim Ubergang and Stephen Ryan. If you want to ring in, we're going for another fifteen minutes. Nine four one nine eight three double seven. Good. Um, now, Stephen, you have another Oh, uh, Yeah, we've got a couple of things here, and they did go up on the um, uh, social media, so I probably should mention them so that people know what they were all about. One of them was this Vinca. Now, people are often frightened of Vinca because Vinca Major, the big growing one, is a dreadful weed. Uh, it is just such an awful plant. It smothers things. Um, uh, when people dump it out in the wild, you end up with great big mm. colonies of it. It's really hard to manage. Um, so I can understand the genus having a rather bad reputation. But the small Vinca, Vinca Minor, uh, makes a very good garden plant. You can also use it in pots and things. I often use it as a ground cover in large urns where I've got a big tall thing growing and then I plant the vinca mine around the outside and it covers the ground and then hangs over the outsides of the pots and there's oodles of different forms out there there's white flowered ones blue flowered ones plum colored ones double flowered ones there's at least two variegated ones, and this is one of them. Uh, this is uh, one called uh, uh, Illumination, which has a gold <laughs> centre to the leaf, which goes really well with the blue flower. And there's one called Robert Shugart. I think it's Robert Shugart. It's a name like that, and it's a silver-edged one. Uh, they're not 100% stable, so you do have to go through and remove green bits every so often. Uh, but it does make a fabulous ground cover. And as I was saying before we went on air, I've got this at the garden at home, and the car tyres take um, uh, care of anything that goes too far astray because it's right on the edge of the driveway. And it's made this lovely sort of – there's a little slopey bed, and it's sort of filled this bed with this gold – variegated foliage and the leaves are more gold than they are green um, and then in late winter early spring there's masses of little blue flowers that pop up through it and I think it's a very useful plant yeah. um, and the ground cover that actually stays on the ground yeah is it does fabulous. it stays fairly flat and it will grow back into the shade as well as come out into the light so um, it tends to be able to grow in both 
directions um, and it just follows the contours so if you planted the top of a wall or something like that it will just cascade straight down um, so I think it's a very amenable and useful plant um, and it's not particularly water hungry it's cold hardy uh, there's not an awful lot that can go wrong with it actually it's growing beautifully at my place yeah and it is it's a really good plant and if it grows further than you want if the car tires won't deal with it a sharp spade certainly will and so it's quite easy to keep it in bounds um, and so and un- unlike other vincas, I haven't found that it goes marching. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it will root down as it goes along. If the branches hit the ground, they'll take root, and then you get what I call Irishman's cuttings, uh, so or pre-struck cutting will sort of show up. And sometimes in pots in the nursery, it'll leap from one pot to the next yep. and root in the other pot. So you go to pick it up, and it's attached to the pot next door. Um, but I think they're they're really really pretty plants, and uh, and Vinca minor has I think a good place in gardens. It's never shown any propensity to go weedy that I'm aware of. Uh, It's certainly not on any weed lists. Um, And I don't know whether Vinca Minor does it, but Vinca Major, if you pluck the flower and roll it, aha, it does. Um, The female part inside, if I can get it out, come out of there, you stupid thing. Uh, We used to roll them out. We called them fairies fishing, uh, fairies uh, paintbrushes. Okay. Oh yes, and so yeah, so you get that sort of little paintbrush-like uh, female part of the flower that comes out of it, and there's nectar in them. And we've got a call on line one, Marianne from Templestowe. Hello, Marianne. Oh, good morning, Virginia. And what can we do for you this morning? Oh, it's lovely to hear you talking on the radio. Thank you. Um, I usually listen to your radio during the week in the morning. But this morning, that I turned it on and it woke me up. I, I felt so nice, happy to hear those shows. <laughs> Excellent. I'm um, glad. I'm 68 years old and I'm still working seven days a week. And I've got a three quarters of an extra backyard in the temple store. And I'd love to turn it into a little rainforest. Um, what would your suggestion, suggestion be? goodness there's so many ways you could go i mean initially you need to get some nurse trees growing something that's yeah, going to be quick quick growing to give a bit of a canopy uh to give your rainforest trees a start and then you've just got to decide which way you're going are you going to go australian rainforest are you going to go um i don't know south american rainforest whatever uh or are you going to have a mixed rainforest of all sorts of things from all over the world and then so once you get your nurse trees up you could use some of the gentler wattles you could use loosen tree. There's any number of things you could use to give you that quick sort of growth. And short-lived and, and, non, short-lived, and non-invasive yeah. as yeah, well. They're not going to be you. there forever. They're just there to Create shelter your, your, your baby so trees. Did, did you understand that, Marianne? You've got, to get, you've got to get in some short-lived trees to provide... Short-lived trees. Yeah. To provide okay, shade. Because yeah, so you they, can't have a rainforest without shade. Yeah, it's got to have that initial shade. And then... Uh, it's really a matter of going out and talking to different people who are growing things in that sort of group. Certainly, Ra- okay. Rorama Nursery at Lara would be a good place to go to talk about rainforest trees. Uh, native ones, you could go to uh, Karanga, Karanga Native Nursery. Yep. They would have a range of native uh, rainforest trees that you could select from. Um, but, I mean, there's lots of different ways you can go. You could go edible rainforest trees. Mm. You know, there's a whole range of trees from rainforests that have edible fruit. Davidson's plum. Yeah, like the native Davidson's plum. I've got a thing in the nursery called 
Gysanthus wedderburii, which was only named about three decades ago and comes from the mountains of Colombia and has edible mm-hmm. fruit on it apparently. But, of course, I've only got a couple of plants about two feet tall and so I haven't tried the fruit yet, so I've got no idea. Um, but there's all sorts of weird and wonderful edible rainforest plants. So you could theme it okay, in some way. You. So I'm sorry, I've probably actually given you – more than no, you need right. to start with. And look oh, after lo- the soil. The soil's yeah. important for rainforests, for oh, diversity. I've got so many. Yeah, sorry. Mm. So, what's in your garden uh, now? Well, I've got. Well, my son in law put in a big every for his birds. Mm. But he's removing it and taking, it, taking the birds to his house. And I'm having chickens in there later on. Yeah. And I've got too many couch grass. I just cannot stand them. <laughs> well, yes. if I was you, I would talk to your son-in-law about removing some of the couch grass because yes. you're going to have to get All rid of the couch grass if you're going to do yes. your rainforest. I have to say, if you plant something as a nurse tree that's hardy enough, it will slowly mm-hmm. start to thin the couch grass because it'll create shade and the couch grass won't grow quite so well in the shade. Uh, but it's got to be something tough. So it'd have to be like a loosened tree or a, some of our quick-growing but short-lived wattles. Um, and that will help you in the process. You can also mulch madly. Yeah. So mulch okay. over the top of it. Uh, so if you can get the shade and the mulch working, that will take some of the work out of trying to manage the couch grass. But you're going to have okay. to manage that. So good luck, Yes, Marianne. thank you so much for your help. Okay, then. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. Goodbye. Yes, the, the grass is going to have to go first. That's yes, you should need to manage First thought. It. Yes, yes, but I think it's so. It's a nice idea to end up with a rainforest in Templestowe, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, Why not? And then there's water as well. Yeah. Ah, yes. Now, that extraordinary-looking piece of fruit that you have there. Yes, yeah, so this is, this is from my house in in Altona and I've got a, a, a cherimoya so a, a, which is a custard apple it's there's two species um of of cher or of, of custard apple type plants in the um it's anonia cherimola and then there's the one that people know as custard apple which is anona reticulata um and I've had this growing in my place i Bought a small seedling from Daly's Fruit and Trees. Ah, yes. Um, in 2014, less than a metre tall. And now this tree is about five, six metres tall, five or six metres wide. Goodness. And it's covered in, in fruit. The um, fruit are amazing looking. Yeah, they are. They come from um, Peru, um, mm. out high altitude in Peru. And Do you eat it? Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. I mean, I... When I first started, I used to hand pollinate these. I used to get a stepladder and hand pollinate these, and then that became too much hard work. And now I don't. Um, and now it produces so much, so much fruit. And the first time I ever tried this was at a um, arboretum near Mossman called Wyanabeel, and he used to freeze them and then he'd put them in a blender and blend them up and then you just have it like a, a smoothie. Like a smoothie, yeah. But they have really big seeds in them. Um, <coughs> the seeds are toxic. They've got um, oxalic acid in them, so they can be quite poisonous. But they're really hard, so putting them in the blender didn't break them down at all or anything and just spit the seeds out. Um, but, yeah, this is this has been a, a really good How do good you know trail. when it's ripe, Tim? 
Well, when they're big enough, I'm told that if you pick them, um, they they ripen off the tree oh, right. quite well. Yeah, um, that's an amazing looking. Other, thing. Otherwise, they all they just drop, and these things drop on my head and uh, or hit the ground, and then they split. So they're you've got to pick them before they fall. Yeah. Um, but they're a great fruit tree that and not a lot of people I don't think can grow them think you can grow them in Melbourne, but they're they're a really well, good. Well it's a wonderful looking tree. piece of fruit. Yeah. yeah. Now we have Vigilant Two herbicide. The active ingredients are picloram and aminopyralid. Which means absolutely nothing to me, but Quite. anyhow. And you you can get it from specialist sales, one word, dot com dot au. Mm-hmm. So it might be something we need to have yes, a look at. Yes, a little bit more investigation bit. into because I don't know what those active ingredients actually mean. They could be more toxic than Roundup, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know anything about them. Yeah, we've got to consider that sort of stuff around yeah. water. Well, it's like when and... people say, "Oh, I use you know salt to poison weeds," and I think, "Well, you're poisoning your ground as well." And people think it's benign, but it's not. Boiling uh, water's benign. Yeah, yeah, boiling water's yeah, all right, but then that won't kill your oxalis bulbs and no, just burn the top will. off it. Um, I, I, I've just come to. I, I, I look at all those yellow flowers and I think, oh, if I was still living in Britain. Everyone would come to visit me. They'd be so excited. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yes, I'm having great success with oxalis at the moment too. Mm. Yes, I'm afraid I have great success with the ones I don't want. Yes. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Now, this is the 3CR Garden Show. It's just about time for us to go. And so next week you will have AB with Craig Wilson from Gentiana and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin Bulbs. So I hope you will all enjoy that enormously next week. Thank you for listening today. Cheers. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.